Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, hey, welcome back to Maximize Your Influence, episode 237. Kurt Mortensen here. We're doing a series on trust. Notice a lot of new listeners. Welcome. Love having you here as we master the skills of persuasion, motivation, influence, self-persuasion, mindset, whatever it takes to maximize your influence, your success, and your income. So been a good week preparing for my biannual trip to the Middle East. That'll include uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Doha, which is in Qatar, and this time Egypt, down to Cairo and a few other places, doing some training should be a lot of fun. And people ask me, why do you love it over there? And I thought about it. Well, food. Who doesn't love the food? The food's great. I mean, there's a lot of diversity, different types of restaurants. You can go to a Pakistani, to an Egyptian, to an Iraqi, to an Iranian. All very different food. Love food. I mean, that's the only good thing about travel is different and interesting food. I love it there because the people are so hungry for personal development. They know there's a direct correlation between their income and their personal development. They're hungry for improving and learning and growing and it just kind of as a presenter as a speaker it sucks it out of you it's a lot easier than a hostile stockbroker sorry stockbrokers they already know everything and why are we here i don't want to learn type audience the audience that they had to be there for their continuing education credits because their manager made them or somebody made them it's a different audience and we can get through to those we have fun to those too but that's different and the people are great they have good hearts. They're serving one another. I mean, you hear different things about the Middle East, but your core people are good people. Just saying, just put it out there. That's why I love going over there. So let's kick off with a ninja this time. Now, those new to the show, we either do a persuasion blunder mistake or we do a persuasion ninja. This is going to be the ninja. Ninja go. This was at an amusement park in Southern California. They understand subconscious triggers. They understand visual cues. They are very good at what they do. They know how to extract more money out of you. You don't even know they're extracting more money out of you. In fact, when they extract, you're paying 10 times more than you probably should. <laughs> so we were waiting on this ride. And of course... We've talked about the psychology of lines on the show and waiting, and there's diversions and different videos and things happening, and this particular room had four different things happening, four different people speaking back to each other, and this one corner had a popcorn machine, and visually it grabbed your attention because the popcorn was flying, and you look closely, it was obviously fake popcorn, but it was popcorn, because I knew it was fake. It was fake popcorn, and they were pumping in popcorn smell. They never said anything about it. None of the characters that were talking were talking about it. It was just there, a popcorn machine with the flying popcorn and the smell. And then eventually you'd get into the ride, and you'd do your ride. Of course, you wait, what, 40 minutes for a 30-second ride or whatever it is. And, of course, you get out, and on the way out, what's that smell? Popcorn, a popcorn machine, someone selling popcorn? What do you know? Another long line. So that's a ninja. They did it right. 
very subtle, subconscious. They didn't force it down your throat. You persuaded yourself. As we know, we've talked about smell in the show. You're all a factory system and the different smells that persuade you, especially the smell of popcorn and, of course, the exact opposite, the smell of burnt popcorn. I think we've had somebody at work burn the bag of popcorn, destroy everyone's smell for a while. So there's opposite. There's good smells and there's bad smells. So that is the ninja. Then from there, new listeners, we always go into the geeky article where I find scientific articles or people that are experts to let you know the new trends in research in persuasion and influence. And this is from Po Chi Wu, Ph.D., and Psychology Today. Talking about trust, since we're continuing our series on trust. So the title is, How Easy or Hard Is It for Us to Trust? And this is more for lawyers. And talking about how establishing trust is complicated, how there's a lot of different data points. It's not just always one different thing. And they lamented that the reasonable doubt feature of a jury, how easy it was, just that little doubt, that little seed versus creating trust with the whole jury and getting everyone to say yes. It's kind of a lopsided system. Reasonable doubt, which you can plant anywhere, versus getting the majority or everyone to agree. And he digs deeper and he talks about as a society, we're becoming less rational and more susceptible to emotional influences or less trusting, more dependent on that subconscious trigger. We've talked about it last show. We talk about every show that most persuasion involves a feeling or an emotion that we cannot separate our emotions from our feelings, from our logic, from our persuasion. It's all intertwined. And they talk about it's so much easier to find a reason to distrust somebody, a company, a product, or service, than it is to trust. And so that's our default is, yeah, there's something wrong. Something's going wrong. And we all know that as a society, we're becoming more distrustful. What does the future look like? Is that going to create a crisis in leadership? If there's nobody trusts each other, it's very hard to run a society. He also labeled a couple things I want to share as far as the rational factors of Trust. I mean, there's the rational side and then there's the subconscious trigger or non-rational side. Of course, rational is the availability of accurate information. Is that information consistent? Is that information from reliable sources? Is that information complete? Was there a third-party validation that says, yes, this is true? Was there an expert that shared that information? Was there a clear delivery of information? Was there a way to find out the information you needed? Did you understand it as you read it? Those are the rational factors. Then, of course, my specialty, I love the non-rational, the emotional factor. Talked about the transparency or basically the ease of access. How easy was it to find that information? And, of course, was it believable? Now, here's what's interesting and I found over the years that just because you're being truthful doesn't mean it's believable. Is your information believable? Have you told enough people to know that they're going to believe it or not? Again, we're always telling the truth. But the truth isn't always believable based on their feelings, based on what they've learned in the past, based on what the media is telling them. It can kind of skew their information. Was there a perception of gaps of information? Even though it was very thorough in the mind of the person who wrote it, there could be a perception of gaps. There were people in the room that asked questions or maybe the comments in the blog below that triggered information, more questions that I get answered. Is that true? And that's what's sad online now that competitors are saying negative things about their competitors' products and that plants seeds of doubt. When the prospect has an experience and contacts or perspective, I think that comes down to is a confused mind says no. 
that when they didn't get it, they didn't understand it, they're not quite sure what they were saying, the words were too big, it's easier to say, I don't trust it, I don't get it, than to try to get more information or even ask, can you explain this to me? And of course, there's the nonverbal elements we've talked about doing persuasive presentations from your nonverbal behavior to the tone of your voice to what you're wearing to how tall you are to how close you're standing to somebody is all part of that trust. So I thought that was interesting to share as we take another week in this podcast to talk more about trust and add another element that can be very helpful to you. We've talked about character, integrity, honesty, sincerity. We've talked about competence, knowledge, intelligence, ability. This week is confidence, your assurance, your belief, your conviction. Are you confident? I don't know. It depends on a lot of factors. If you are afraid of public speaking, you're not going to come across as very confident because fear breeds doubt and doubt destroys confidence. That's just how it is. If you have these fears that are holding you back, fear of criticism, the fear of failure, the fear of success, whatever the fear is. Remember, we've talked about it many times on this show that you were only born with two fears, fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So these learned fears, you can unlearn fears. And what happens many times is you keep replaying past failures, especially in public speaking. You have destructive thoughts that are pulling you down. You're stuck on worry negative attitude. They're not going to listen. They're not going to care. They're going to walk out. Hesitation, your mood can all destroy confidence, can all increase fear. And that is a huge challenge. That is not what you want. And as I've asked people around the world about people who lack confidence, here's the list that I've come up with. React defensively to criticism. Uh, Yeah. Not honest about their own abilities and limits. Shun the advice and input of others because they don't need help. Confident people tend to learn from their mistakes. People that lack confidence blame others for things that go wrong. And people that lack confidence expect the worst and often get it. And this is an issue. You might think you're confident, but you might not be coming across that way. So you've got to feel confident before you look confident. Just because they don't call you out during a presentation that you're nervous or full of fear, they can sense it, they can see it. You have to go through persuasive presentations to really understand how that works. In fact, that's available at lawsofpersuasion.com. Remember what I said earlier, fear breeds doubt, doubt destroys confidence. You want to have true confidence, not the fake confidence. Not the second part here that's huge is that there's a fine line between being confident and being arrogant or cocky. Now, as I interview people that are persuading each other, uh, one of the questions I ask, were they confident? And the persuader says, yeah, I was confident. But when you ask the persuadee or the prospect, yeah, no, they seemed arrogant and condescending and cocky. And that destroys trust. So here we've got this thing, confidence. It really enhances trust. But if you cross the line to arrogance, it destroys confidence. So what is the difference between confidence and arrogance? I mean, that's an interesting one. I ask at seminars all the time. And it seems to come down to, as people define it, that confidence is about inner peace, that you could serve others, that you can hear other people's opinions, that you're good, that you don't need to vomit your expertise all over other people, versus arrogant is your idea is the only idea, that it's all about you and nobody else. And I'll accept that. In fact, some other things that come up when I have people define arrogance are the following. 
They acted like they owned the place. Treated me like a child. Didn't listen to what I wanted. Blamed other people. Didn't own up to their mistakes. Never answered my questions. Always had to be right. Now, some of those are perceptions. Some of those are like, well, I would never treat someone like a child. Well, you know, the way you ask questions, the way you respond to questions, the way you treat somebody, you could be. I'm sure you're not doing it on purpose, but it's very possible. So let's look at those again. Acted like they owned the place. You were the most important person. Nobody else mattered. That could have been a defense mechanism. Maybe you don't mean to. Maybe you're like me. You suffer from RBF. Look it up if you don't know what it is. To where you just look like you don't want to talk to people sometimes. Didn't listen. You go in telling them what they need to do. Even though you might be right, you still have to listen. We've talked about on previous shows blaming other people and how that hurts trust. When you didn't own up to your mistake or being late or saying something wrong, pointing fingers, the blame game really hurts confidence, really hurts trust. And that last one I mentioned always has to be right. <laughs> and of course, you've heard me say it on the show before, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I mean, you could win the argument. It's a lot of fun. You could prove someone they're wrong. That could be a lot of fun. But you've crossed the line. So if you really want to avoid arrogance, you have to be open to feedback and to criticism. You know, take it with a grain of salt. I know there's always someone in my audience that has to point out, oh, there's this in your book, or there's a spelling mistake here, or you said this, you should have said this. There's always people that want to give feedback and criticism, and I'll just say thank you. Then I'll take it with a grain of salt. Maybe it's something I change, maybe it's something I don't, but I have to be open to listen. Some personalities need to find something wrong with something. And I've seen a lot of presenters put things that are wrong on purpose so people can find them because they like to find those things. Take that one with a grain of salt. Being honest about your strengths and weaknesses of your product and competing products, they've done their research, they know. We've also noticed that people that ask more questions demonstrate care and concern more than others. In fact, the study shows that great persuaders ask three times more questions. You become a consultant instead of a salesperson. That's important. But here's one I will put money on that you need to fix. Because I listen to thousands of recordings. It's one of the things I do. I listen to people on the phone trying to persuade people. And I give audio feedback as they can listen to their mistake. My coaches do. Remember, I have a team of persuasion coaches. The first one is free to prove our worth. can really help your ability to grow and to become better. Just send me an email that you're interested at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. This is the one, after all those audios we've listened to and videos, the same, all the same, is that you are interrupting. This is where you cross the line. This is where most of you cross the line from confident to arrogance. And here it is. You have this product or service, and you are explaining it to people all day long. And you get the same objections all day long. And you've developed a pretty good answer to this objection. Whether you're in customer service or sales, doesn't matter. You have a great comeback. And what happens is you hear the prospect coming up with this objection, this question, this concern. You cut them off and you solve it because you've got a great answer. And why do you need to listen to the rest of them? But the challenge is you have just crossed the line from confidence to arrogance. When you cut people off like that, you've crossed the line. It's difficult to build trust. You have to remember it's the first time they've ever voiced that objection, that question, that concern. It's the first time they've brought it up. It's real. It's true to them. 
you think it's good time management to cut them off, but it's not because you've lost trust. You've lost the sale. You've lost the negotiation. You have to hear them out completely. Remember, it's the first time they've asked it. You have to hear them out completely. Pause, then respond so you don't cross that line. In fact, I hope all of you are recording your videos and your audios. In fact, send them to me. I'll critique them. I'll let you know what you're doing. I'll coach you through them at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Get a different set of ears and eyes, some things that will help you out to become a next level in the world of persuasion, influence, and building trust. So to review here, we talked about not interrupting, talked about more questions, better listening, not blaming, not pointing fingers, and then the one I don't get questions on is fear. That's in millionaire psychology. You have to address your fears. You have to face your fears. If you get nervous and antsy before a presentation, that fear, like I talked about before, fear destroys doubt and doubt destroys confidence. People sense it. They feel it. They don't say something every time, but you need to be more confident in your presentations. You're like, well, Kurt, how do I do that? Well, that's another podcast, but a few things to think about. The more you prepared, the more you know your presentation, the fear and doubt decreases. Visualizing success decreases the fear and doubt. Practicing at the location you're going to give it decreases doubt and increases confidence. Putting your mom in the front row or people that are just going to support you can increase your confidence. Daily affirmations, that works for you. Again, we'll have to spend another podcast on this, but fear really destroys confidence. Fear of meeting people for the first time, fear of anything. Remember, to learn fear, you can spend some time to unlearn it a little bit at a time. Key factors here. And another aspect of fear that's really important for you and your team, if someone gives a presentation, you or somebody else, and they completely blow it, bomb it bad, fear, doubt, they did a terrible job, the longer they wait, and this is for any fear, the longer they wait to get back on the horse, the longer they wait to do it again, to try it again, to put themselves out there again, the more of that cement of fear hardens and it's harder to break. So get out there as fast as you can. Any fear. Any fear at all. If a child has a bad experience with a dog, the sooner you get them in front of a dog again will dramatically reduce that fear. But if you got years go away with that fermenting and drying in their brain, the bigger that fear becomes. So if you want more information on fear or the psychology of objections, the archives, that's number 87, the psychology of objections, that's on influenceuniversity.com. The archives are free. The PhD program is also there. It's a weekly 52-week program that will really enhance your tools and persuasion and influence. Thanks for being here. Hit the like button if you can. Tell your family, friends, enemies, coworkers other people in different countries, whoever you can, to help us increase the podcast. Really appreciate that. Thanks for your desire to master these skills because they will help you master your life. You'll maximize your income, your future, influence to help you in every aspect of your life. So master these skills, teach other people, and go out and persuade with power.